And welcome, friends, to Generations. This is Kevin Swanson, your host today. And uh, I appreciate so fact that the uh, Rosaria Butterfield has got another book out. So enjoy uh, her writing. I think it's been so helpful for equipping God's people to, to just address some of the antithesis that is out there and around us. Uh, wow, this uh, particular book, this new one, goes after the big idols, the big Dagons, and the big Bales of our age. And, uh, and, and at points, we need to barbecue the sacred cows. We, we do. Uh, obviously controversial and difficult, but let's bring biblical solutions to it. That's, that's what Rosario attempts to do in this, in this book, and of course, all of her books, um, going after the deeper deceptions that seem to embed themselves in a post-Christian age or an apostate Western mind. And, and I do think that there's just a lot of deceptions, the demonic deceptions of the day, because, uh, well, that's what Satan does. He's the master of lies. He's the father of lies. And there is so much that goes on in our world around us. We need to be equipped uh, to answer these things. And uh, we want to equip the man of God and the woman of God for every good work, especially the age in which we live today. Um, now, some of these mentioned in this new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, I don't think we've spent enough time with. So it's uh, critical that we come back to this. Rosaria Butterfield, uh, she's written this new book. She is an author, a pastor's wife, a homeschool mom, and former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. And may I also add, a sinner saved by God's grace. Rosaria Butterfield, welcome back to Generations. So good to have you here today. Oh, thank you, Kevin. It's a joy to be back with you. <laughs> it's okay that I added that one last little piece, right? I loved it. Are okay. you kidding? Yeah, we should yeah, yeah, yeah. blast that from the rooftop. That's definitely. it. That's it for all of us. Amen and amen. That's Let's true. never forget that. Isn't Great. that some Paul refers to himself as, you know, the chief of sinners, right? Saved by the grace of God. And and that's us. Well, let's, yeah, let's jump into the, the book just briefly. I mean, I can't spend, you know, the, the 30 minutes and go over every one of these particular lies, but we're going to attempt some of this. You introduced the book by saying, hey, we live in Babel today. Um, and my wife and I have had those conversations recently that it, it also seems like we live in a mental institute where, you know, it <laughs> seems like God has given them up to a perverse mind, the Romans 1 problem. Um, wow. Isn't that true? Is it more so than ever? Right. Yeah. Well, it definitely it's it's true, and it, and it was a truth that grew kind of slowly in me because I am a sinner. And um, but but uh, you know, one of the realities of living in a post Obergefell world, the Obergefell decision was the decision that legalized gay marriage in all fifty states in two thousand fifteen, mm -hmm. but added something significant that sometimes people miss. And that was the dignitary harm clause, which redefined harm from more material things into harm now being the um, rejection or the lack of affirmation of someone's supposed LGBTQ plus dignity. And what mm -hmm. that did, that thrust us into an Orwellian place Hmm. where um, so many of the, the words that we were comfortable with that we thought we understood before 2015 now had different meaning. When hmm. Christians would use them, 
instead of advancing the gospel, we were carrying water for the other team. Yeah. I'm thinking here of words like sexual orientation, anti-gay, mm-hmm. um, you know, many of those words, uh, reparative therapy, they meant something before 2015. They mean something differently today. And Christians mm-hmm. who have not uh, checked the dictionary are really negotiating the terms of our own surrender, mm. and I'm not comfortable going there. Yeah, and the degree to which the younger generation is brought into this, I think we just hit a statistic, 28% of the younger generation yep. acknowledged to be LGBTQ. That's up from 20% last year, up from about 4% the beginning of 2000. Right. So you're looking at just a massive... And the other thing, we did a program, I think just last week, we reread the story of Sodom and Lot. And what was interesting was that all the men, both young and old, were beating down the door of Lot's house to try to get at the angels. And I, th- I thought, that's increasingly what we're looking like here today. They're capturing the young and right. the old after 50 right. years of this movement. Have you noticed that yourself? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, and I don't have... Uh, just so your listeners know, I'm not throwing rocks from outside the window. I was yeah. the person who was, you know, hired, mentored, tenured at Syracuse University to make homosexuality look wholesome mm-hmm. and normal. Mm-hmm. And so the normalization of homosexuality is, is, and along with that, the rest of the alphabet soup that goes into the LGBTQ plus movement is what we're talking about. And the movement is an idol, and that's part of what Christians need to grasp. It's not a community, it's not a bunch of lost, confused people with a burden, uh, you know, unanswered prayer. They ask God to to lift this from them, and God is so mean he didn't. That's not what we're dealing with, but, um, uh, and, and I'm not suggesting you shouldn't have sympathy for sinners, but but just don't misunderstand who the sinner is. It's not mm-hmm. God. We are to own our sin and repent of it, and we need to love our neighbors well enough to tell them the truth. And that is becoming more and more costly. Uh, you may lose your job. You may lose your life. And so it's um, it's pretty serious out there, and I think our listeners need to know. One of the words that's associated almost all the time is the pride word. You know, it's the pride march or the mm-hmm. pride whatever. It seems interesting to me, and I've, 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 you know, seen some definitions of the postmodern age is even very much different from the pagan age in that there is so much pride in this modern age that's associated with the sinfulness. Uh, so we get this packaged deal where we need to be proud of our sin. That's what it is, really. Ultimately, we're, we're, we're being encouraged not to right. not to respond in any shame or guilt or humility before God or before each other, but just to be proud. I mean, just this is the thing, right? right. This is the the virtue right. of the day. And, and I would say too, with that, you know, this would not have had this wouldn't have gained an inch of ground if the church had been unified around the truth. Okay. And instead, the truth, the the church, the the visible church, is divided around therapeutic terms. Okay. So, um, and I so so I think that's that's part of the issue as well. That uh, yeah. the 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 church has failed. Yeah. We have failed. I have failed. And so that's yeah. the the writing of this book starts with my repentance, not the mm-hmm. repentance from mm-hmm. the old stuff from mm-hmm. thirty years ago. I mean. It's still worthy to repent of all that, but yes. but the new stuff, uh, the things that I did as a Christian, 
attempting to do things that that's not actually a gospel um, move in a world like ours, uh, like privileging the the feelings of a sinner over the word of God or mm-hmm. um, thinking that I'm somehow more merciful than God. I mean, God forbid, uh-huh. but I did those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I know how deceptive these oh, lies are. We want to get into that. I think that above all, the church needs to be representing the message of John Newton right towards the end of his life. He said, I've got one message mm-hmm. left, and that is we're great sinners, and, and but we have a greater Savior. And I think just that message has got to play. It has just got to play in the churches today. Right. We are great sinners, but right. man, Absolutely. we have a greater Savior. But let's get uh, to the first lie, once gay, always gay. And you draw from your own experience coming out of the lifestyle of homosexuality on this. And I want to quote uh, something you said, and I want you to follow up on this, because this is, I think, really the heart of, uh, of some of the transition uh, that you went through. It was utterly and completely shocking to realize that my lesbianism was truly a sin. How in the world does one do battle with something that just feels like normal life? I mean, that's just the heart of it. Um, But why? I guess that's my question. How did you come to that point? And maybe this speaks to all of us because there's a deception I think we're all embracing. That's right. Well, the the Lord brought into my life uh, a neighbor who was a pastor. And at this time, I was, I thought, writing a book on the religious right, trying to figure out why people like you wouldn't leave people like the person I used to be alone to live my, you know, my best pluralist libertarian life. And um, in the process, I um, read the Bible with this pastor. His name is Ken Smith, and he is, by God's grace, still alive, and Hmm. I hope to visit him soon. He's 96. Wow. And he and his dear wife, Floyd, um, we we would read the Bible together. And and I was convinced I needed to read the Bible to dismantle it, so I was happy to do it. But um, one of the things that happens when you, when you read anything somewhat compulsively, and maybe this is also pointing to a lack of a problem in today's world. I, I read the Bible through seven times in two years. <sighs> And that's wow. a good, healthy amount of Bible reading. That's mm-hmm. a good amount of Bible reading. And <laughs> yeah. one of the things it does is it just confronts you with a world that is different from yours. And so the the idea of, of um, well, first of all, the concept that we are born in sin and therefore that we are, in, I'm sorry, that we are imputed, uh, the sin of Adam is imputed to us right. at our birth Uh, which means that I could have an unchosen sin, but I'm still responsible for it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the the, Ten Commandments, the Thou Shalt Not Covet, Tenth Commandment, Exodus 2017, I even have a sin that could send me to hell that I'm not even acting on. And so a lot of my well-worn assumptions just were getting destroyed by um, James 1, Romans 1, mm-hmm. uh, Romans 7, Exodus 2017. And it Ken and Floyd Smith also f- gave me really good books to read. And one of the books that I read, in addition to the really good book of the Bible, was Thomas Watson's book, The Doctrine of Repentance. Right. And he talks there where you have to, you know, there are six ingredients, he says, to true repentance. And the first is recognizing sin as sin. So you can't even get out the box if you say, "Well, I'm just a gay Christian. Gay is who I am, not how you know, not how I, you know. It's not a sin. I, you know, 
I don't call me to repent from sin. I, you know, I've done other sins you can call me to repent from, but not this one. No, mm-hmm. no. The first thing is to recognize, to yeah. have your eyes unscaled yes. that this is sin. And it was very challenging because yes. I had to then learn how to hate my sin and mortify my sin without hating myself. Right. But again, the Lord Jesus walks us through all of that, oh, right? That's right. Amen. Now, Rosaria, let me ask you this again, getting back to what you were back then. Had you thoroughly embraced the deception in your mind, was it a mind thing, a heart thing, or a biological thing? Or, well, or a little I, bit of all of that. It's Yeah, no, I, I don't know how it could be a biological thing because right. we are made in the image of God. In fact, this is something that Ken Smith and Floyd Smith really, um, uh, you know, pressed on me that everyone is either a man or a woman. Yes. And that is who we are ontologically and eternally. Mm-hmm. So someone who says she's a lesbian isn't a different ontological creature. You're a woman uh-huh. with this sin pattern. Right. So, um, so there's nothing biological ab- about it. Um, you might say, that, I mean, it might be. You, I mean, you know, I mean, you could. Nature can tell you that men are designed in a particular way for women, and women are designed in a particular way for men. It's obvious. But right? for me, it was definitely a sin of the mind. Okay. It was a sin of the heart. Okay, I had right. allowed a particular lustful fantasy to really take hold of my life in my 20s i dated men but as i was dating men i was falling in love with women Mm -hmm. and i wasn't a believer so there was nothing there was no guardrail around my feelings my feelings could just literally direct anything uh, you know Mm -hmm. around me and uh Mm -hmm. and so that was the particular way in which my indwelling sin uh, you know, expressed itself. And it's appropriate to say it's appropriate to say that you were deceived. This is a demonic deception, <laughs> yes, right? That, that just just and that's why it's become so natural. And so this this is just you know who I am. And he, well, that's because of the demonic deception. Is that fair to say? Right, mm-hmm. right, absolutely. And I would say part of that demonic deception involves people who purport to be Christians, yeah, who um, advance this absolutely idea of either um, a, uh, you know, Christianity or trans Christianity and say things like, well, you know, I'm gay, Kevin, and I'm made in the image of God. Mm -hmm. And that is such a deception because we are made in the image of God as, 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 uh, as men or as women, Genesis 127, 128 says, and we're made in the image for the purpose of, of, of heterosexuality and Mm -hmm. procreation. God creates us for with a pattern for a purpose um and we grow in our image bearing of god and the knowledge and the righteousness and holiness of jesus but being gay or being trans comes from the world the flesh and the devil yeah you can't suggest that that's part of your image bearing and and i think i just had to really in some ways, just take myself by the throat, open my eyes, look at what the Bible said, and decide if I believed it. And and furthermore, decide if I trusted Jesus. Did I believe the resurrection was true? And would that be true, uh, you know, whether I believed it or not? Because the Bible's witness is that homosexuality and transgenderism come from the flesh, they are forbidden in the law, and they are overcome the Savior. Mm-hmm. And if that's true, then there's no room for this nonsense, uh, this heresy 
of gay Christianity or trans Christianity, right. and right. the way that it it uh, the 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 term that we use to describe it is revoice theology or side B theology. Mm -hmm. It's very subtle, and it has inserted itself in some of the major parachurch movements of right. our day. Even Campus Crusade. And if you're I mean, me, right? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. If like, you're me shocking. and you say that. You say that at a you know at a at a at a lecture to students, and you know what? Here's the deal: I'm a former university professor. I'm a mother and a grandmother. You put me in a room of fifteen thousand students, and I'm going to tell them mm -hmm. the God honest truth. Yeah, yeah. And, and I am not working yeah. for any parachurch ministry. And if That's that right. ruffles their feathers or ruins their donor base, mm -hmm. I, I, you know. I, there no tears are coming for me. Some, something my wife and I have always talked about is life is too short to be vague. <laughs> I don't want to be on my deathbed. I don't want to be on my deathbed and say, what I really wanted to say was... Uh, okay. exactly. yeah. so, I think we need that on yeah, a t-shirt. Yeah. We, we that, probably please? do, yeah. So I appreciate you, uh, you know, joining that, uh, that, that, that meme. <laughs> that, uh, movement. Yeah, that movement. Yes, yeah. yes definitely. Uh, well, let's hit the second lie briefly, because I think this is a big one, a really big one. It ties in to, I think, a theological problem with the, the modern uh, Christian mind or you know, modern American mind. Uh, being a spiritual person is kinder than being a biblical person. Um, that is, the modern person is looking for a kinder and gentler God, not a holy God, not right. a wrathful God who gives up his only son, right. the son whom he loves right. on the cross to satisfy divine justice and reconcile us to God. So that's sort of the larger uh, theological part of this. Uh, you know, so the right. modern the modern mind just finds this biblical God to be so unkind. You know, so what's wrong with right. that? You know, g give us your right, answer right, to right. that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what it is is we we don't like that distinction between the creator and the creature, mm -hmm. and um, we we in our flesh we rebel against it because it puts us in our place. Um, and then add to that, again, a quote-unquote Christian world where, you know, you've got, uh, you know, supposed Christians, you know, telling us what their pronouns are and, and putting their anagram, you know, marker on their, you know, whatever Facebook page. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it's all manner of confusion. But a very good place, a way to think about this really is the difference between binary and non-binary, which of course are buzzwords around transgenderism, but Christianity is binary. There is a binary distinction between God and everything else. That's right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's but right. a pagan spirituality in whatever kind and gentle form you have is non-binary. Mm -hmm. There is a collapsing and a blurring of the boundaries Right. between God and everything else. God right. is inside you. God is your feelings. And part of why this becomes extremely important right now, one of the things I want to impress upon Christians, specifically Christian women who are reading this book, is that we need to know what time it is. And I'm not talking there about eschatology. I'm talking about genuinely right here, literally, what time, what is it like to live in 2024? What do words mean? What do people expect? What are the pressures? And I say that because this particular issue is really important. Romans 1 lays out for us three exchanges. An exchange for the truth of God for a lie. Right. 
an exchange of heterosexuality, which is normal and procreative and flourishing, uh, for homosexuality, which is barren and vile and perverse, and the exchange of the worship of the creator, which is good, and or the worship of the creature, which is idolatrous. Yes. And what we have right now in 2024 is that all of those exchanges have not only been made, but they have been codified into law. Mm -hmm. And we need to let that sink in. And so when I hear something like a quote-unquote good faith debate at the Gospel Coalition, and I hear someone like Jen Wilkins say, really, put, you know, Every the public school system is wonderful. Mm-hmm. You'll get a first-rate education, and she says that in 2022 or 2023, that would be a full year after, obviously, 2021, which is when the Biden administration redefined Title IX mm-hmm. and inserted into every government school an anti-bullying program. That means you can't remove your child from it that basically says, if you're not an ally to someone in the LGBTQ plus movement, you are a bully. Now, I just don't think people know that that's happened. And that was years ago. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we see the effects of it on things like the statistic you started our program with. How did we get to a place where 30% of young people think that they're LGBTQ plus yeah. when that isn't even a category of personhood? Right. Well, they got there because they've been taught that empathy is the highest goal and the highest achievement of a person's integrity of character. And mm-hmm. especially for young women, the relationship between being an ally and becoming the thing to which you are allied is pretty tight. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, I, so yeah, so this is a very serious thing. And those Romans 1 exchanges and their codification in law, we just need to know what time it is. Right. And your definitions, man, they just, the kindness, love. And, you know, you come back, well, mm-hmm. how kind should you be to, say, a rapist? Or what would that kindness look like if you were exactly. being kind and loving to a an axe murderer, you know, you start to ask questions like that. Okay. Well, maybe, maybe I have, you know, misconfigured the, the definitions of these particular words. Uh, You got to admit there is a huge amount of obfuscation and deception. This is just deception. Part of, part of how we got here is we said, Oh no, 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 Kevin, come on. Good being so mean. Gay is not a sin. Mm -hmm. It's, Mm -hmm. it's, it's who someone is. And I mean, even Andy Stanley, the great heretic of our, you know, our mo- more modern time here, yeah, yeah, yeah. said, mm-hmm. how can you repent of who you are? And this is, you know, if I can just press on the Andy Stanley conference for a minute, I think it's really fascinating. Um, in some ways, the whole side B gay Christian movement and the whole gay Christian movement uh it's kind of given up on the people who themselves call themselves gay because they're all happy. You know, they've they've already said you're fine just as you are. But what's really interesting is they're targeting parents now and they're trying to get these grieving parents of prodigal children on board to affirm a lie and a sin. And, you know, Mm -hmm. the truth of the matter is, and this is true for you and me, it's true 
for me when I called myself a lesbian, it's true for me now that I'm an old grandma, it's <laughs> married happily. The reality is we need to get up every day and drive a fresh nail into our choice sin every day. That's right. And then do that That's a right. thousand times That's before right. we go to bed. And then we need to get up tomorrow morning and do the same thing. Yeah. And if we don't do it, um, woe to us. But we have a very dangerous theology out there that says, oh, no, no, homosexuality isn't a sin. At best, it's a temptation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you you can't repent of a temptation. You're supposed to flee a temptation. And that's just nuts. What if the temptation is part of my sin nature? What we, if it's in me, which it was? Where do I flee to if it's in me? We, we, so we need to teach people how to mortify their sin, how to kill their right. sin without amen. themselves. Amen and amen. We like to say nobody gets to exempt themselves from the grace of God. You know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> God it doesn't matter. We have a, a, a Savior that will save you from any kind of sin. Doesn't matter what kind of sinner you are. The grace of God is powerful enough to overcome our sin, enable Amen. us to, to mortify that sin. And Jesus came to cleanse us from all unrighteousnesses. And nobody, I say nobody, gets to exempt themselves from the grace that brings all that about. Nobody should want to. Oh, man. Amen. We can't clean ourselves out. Amen to that. We can't clean ourselves out. I know. I know. (laughs) Well, oh, man, I wanted to go a little further, but let me do one more, and that is feminism, because feminism, wow. I mean, feminism is almost bigger in the churches and in our minds today than ever. I mean, just wow, wow, wow. It's huge. It's huge, And maybe what I can do is connect feminism and transgenderism by giving you one quick thing to think about. Yes, please do. They both rely on this false idea that sex and gender are different. Sex and gender are not different. There is not a difference. And in fact, just to, um, to quote um, Christopher Gordon in a really helpful little book called um, The New Reformation Catechism on Human Sexuality, he says, to introduce gender as a new category of personhood, separate from the biological category of sex, in pursuit of a different sexual identity or gender identity is unnatural to the creation order and harmful to the purpose for which God made us. Well, the sex-gender distinction is feminism's primary uh, theoretical, theological move. And what's so interesting is transgenderism has simply got, you know, feminism wanted to make a distinction between sex and gender to allow for women to not be uh, submitted, really, to a biblical patriarchy. But um, what transgenderism now has done is just taken feminism to its logical conclusion, gotten rid of sex altogether. And you know what's interesting? The only place feminism is alive and well right now is not the world. Uh, Title IX killed it in the world. Once men took over women's sports, Mm -hmm. it's over. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. feminism is alive and well in the evangelical church. It sure that's is. It. It's, why? And why? that says why, something. Why, why? Why is it creeping in, and where is it creeping in? Well, be- I would say two things. One, because the church, um, in, its, in an effort to be winsome and to make friends with, the, to confuse its command, hmm. we are to love our enemies, not pretend our enemies are our friends. Oh wow! But in wow. a weak. Mm-hmm. In a weak, false gospel where we have failed to love our enemies well enough to tell them the truth, mm-hmm. what has mm-hmm. happened is mm-hmm. the evangelical church, especially Big Eva, is not leading the world. 
it's merely jogging like we're all running a marathon and they're just you know big eva is just maybe 10 miles behind the world yeah so to just mm-hmm. follow up with a metaphor that um dr l moeller gave when he was writing about andy stanley for world opinions he said uh the title of the piece was the train has left the station i remember that mm-hmm. well mm-hmm. well big eva is on the same track and what its problem is, is it's confusing what it needs to do. I was raised in Chicago. I got on all kinds of trains, and they were going to the wrong station. And the first thing you do is you get off, get the, off train. the train. You don't, <laughs> chit, you don't talk with other people in the car and ask good questions to see if that might turn the train around. Mm-hmm. No, you have to That's just good. get off the That's train good. and get on a new one. That's and, good. And uh, leaders, uh, and I'm talking now, Christianity Today, Gospel Coalition, these um, parachurch ministries, crew, mm-hmm. they mm-hmm. get, you know, if you're going in the wrong direction, mm-hmm. get off the train and yeah. get on the better one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A- but a- if amen. you don't, I don't believe you know what time it is. And mm-hmm. I don't believe anybody should be getting on the train with you. That's right. That's right. Well, I want to end on an autobiographical and, and positive note uh, in relation to feminism and transgenderism and all of this. Here's the question. Okay, we, what happens is the world gains all these caricatures in their minds concerning what Christians believe. Okay, so you walk into Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church in the 1990s, mm-hmm. and your caricatures, your feminist caricatures and the rest were actually sort of demolished as you were faced with the truth of God's word, what, what right. God really right. said. So maybe just give us a little sense right. of how that happened. Yeah, absolutely. And, and on the other side, I, I, you know, I get to live by God's grace, get to live this out on the other side today, where yes. I and friends from church go and speak at school board meetings about transgenderism and parental rights. And, you know, at those meetings, you will meet the man who castrated his 14 year old son because he thought it was a good idea. Mm-hmm. Now, mm-hmm. there's nobody who needs the gospel more than that man and his son. And yes. one of the things that we are able to do is say the kinds of things that need to be said and then get uh, booed and hissed and yelled at. And then we invite people over for dinner, people whose children have been transed by the government schools and who themselves have become duped and indoctrinated by these uh, terribly dangerous ideas. And we get to invite them to our home for dinner and they come. And here's why it's really important that we do that. It's a private place. My home, nobody's tweeting, nobody's blogging. You know, (laughs) we're eating, we're we're Uh eating minestrone soup and we're dunking fresh bread in it. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're talking about truth. That's right. That's right. There will be no movement more needed in the gospel than the transgender movement because mm-hmm. we need to remind them that the story doesn't end with the mistakes you've made mm-hmm. even if those mistakes and those sins resulted in castrating yourself because yeah. if you believe in the lord jesus christ your body will be raised with his in the new jerusalem and you will be the man you were meant to be and there will be no regrets and that's that's the message of the gospel that's right that's right and uh, he will redeem and he will restore all of the years the locusts have eaten and then some amen and then some 
Amen. Well, friends, so much more to say, and I just wish we could continue <laughs> for another hour or two. But uh, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age, heavily recommended uh, Rosaria Butterfield's recent book through Crossway, available anywhere online. So get a copy for yourself, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. I believe we do have it uh, available at generations.org as well. So Rosaria, thank you so much. Appreciate uh, the exchange, and let's just keep doing this. Praise God. We'll do. This is Kevin Swanson inviting you back again next time as we continue to lay down a vision for the next generation.